Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one Best big in the league and it's no debate Who's from the haters, point him to the exit I guess every franchise needs his process Every franchise needs its own process Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray Hit you with the jab, step, knock down, lock from Ben Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it Yeah, homie, let the fans know it Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye if you mess, you better get back Cause if them bees, there won't be a putback Keep all that trash out of the paint Cause them bees will put it back in your face He's a cold-blooded killer And he take no prisoners Yeah, dump off from TJ Call it the feed to him, What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of The Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with the video extraordinaire, the celebrity himself, Mr. Kate t-shirt stay solid baby brock landis rock how 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 have the last how has the last week been for you it's been cool man this is a constant grind uh, so i kind of lose track of the days i just go by when the sixers play and when i need to put content out by i'm sure you're working with the same schedule but i got a cool little setup going on you can't see anything right now but i got a roadcaster pro uh, let me see if i can play around here so that's what the mixing board looks like wow okay that's very Pretty cool high tech and, and the mic right here upper, upper echelon right there it's good stuff it's good yeah stuff. it's heavy so what happened was we're going to talk about the utah philly game uh but i uploaded that video i worked on it for shit like 16 straight hours i'm not even kidding i sat down from the time that game started got a live tweet then everything that comes after so i was working on that video a 15-minute video for probably 16 hours, no joke. Uh, when I put the video out, it got really good reviews. People liked it. Uh, it was my most viewed, my most liked breakdown I've posted, but there were seven dislikes. Now, I'm not tripping about the dislikes, but what happens is when I post, I usually get one, two, maybe three dislikes. What's up, BB? Stay solid. Um, there were seven, which is concerningly high for my content. So I'm like, what the hell is going on? My jazz fans. I'm like, what the hell's going on? It's the jazz fans. And they're in the comments ripping my content to shreds. They're like, oh, you're a piece of shit sixer stand. Your drawings suck. Don't use crayons. Be more professional. So they're holding me to this real high standard. And I thought, you know what? These goofballs out in Utah might be right. They might be right. So they expedited what had to happen. I needed to upgrade the audio. I needed a mixing board. I need to get better with the editing. I need to take different angles. So these jazz fans that disliked the video and commented, they really just expedited the process. So now I'm taking my content to a new level, and I'll have a care package out by Thursday. That's a Ben Simmons comp to Magic Johnson, Scottie Pippen, and Rajon Rondo. So that'll be side-by-side -side film and numbers for that entire video. And also a trade deadline candidate and buyout market candidate options video for the Philadelphia 76ers coming out by Thursday for their first game back. But uh, Austin – I'm doing well, bro. I appreciate you asking me. How about you? Wow. Uh, first of all, I don't know why. Well, I'm not going to say that you shouldn't have done that. If you wanted to do it, do it. But it, it should not have been the jazz fans, the salty jazz fans sending you over the edge. Well, they, they, they sped the process up. My Sixers family, they were content with my content. But the jazz fans, they, uh, they, 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 they exposed a weakness. 
I should say. So they, they would you say that you went brazy on that purchase? No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't, especially because it was my dad that purchased it too. Ah, so yes. hats off to hats off to Mr. Landis. I appreciate Mr. Landis, it. That's right. The, the head coach. Words too, so, uh, you, have, out, you, have, you have Coach Lynham and you have Coach Landis. Yeah, exactly. Tier <laughs> one and tier two. That's right. That's right. So we got a lot to discuss today, obviously. Um, the Sixers, even though it's a little bit past uh, its shelf life, the Sixers pull off one of the wins of, 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 of the year for them, or one of the marquee wins of their season. Obviously, you have the L.A. win with Tobias Harris knocking down the game winner, but this game was something else. Embiid, 40-19. and 19. Um, You know, Ben was 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 was, was – just locking defensively. Mitchell ended up with like 33 points on 34 shots. It's not that impressive when you need 34 shots to get 33 points. I'm sorry. Like it's a nice number, 33 points. Not nice. It's 34 shots to get there. It's not, it's not good. Um, you know, I, I just thought that they, they showed tremendous resilience. Like when Embiid left the game for a little while, when they have that all bench lineup in, when Utah's just making every single three they take, they didn't get down and they, and they they didn't they just didn't you know let up. They they kept their foot in the door and then slowly but surely you see that foot get a little strong a little stronger, it's pushing the door a little bit further open, and then suddenly they're right back in the game. And uh, you know, it's if you if you think about it from like a mathematical standpoint. It's really, 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 really hard to win in the NBA when you get outshot from three by thirteen shots. That's thirty nine. It was crazy. It, it, it was crazy. I mean, the Sixers went one for eight, only eight three pointers attempted in the first half, and altogether, I think they finished the game at like 33 percent from beyond yeah. the arc. But it was like eight of twenty five. You talk about that mathematical significance in the modern NBA. If a team has a 39-point advantage off of three-pointers, it's almost a death wish. It's like the game's over at that point. But a lot of really good things happened for Philadelphia in this game. Now, what did we see that we knew? If the Sixers have space, they're impossible to match up with. I think they're the most difficult team in the NBA at the moment, and that's without a dead-eye consistent three-point splasher to match up with in the NBA because you've got the Lakers, right? Where, okay, you need to match up with LeBron and you need to match up with AD. But if you look at Boston, not really physical mismatches. If you look at Brooklyn, really one physical mismatch with KD. If you look at the Clippers, you could argue maybe one or two physical mismatches with PG and Kawhi. The Suns, not really any physical mismatches. So when you look at all of these contending teams, there's basketball mismatches but none of them have three physical mismatches. And I say that because you've got Embiid, who's seven feet, seven, one, seven, two, whatever. No center can guard him. He's the most unguardable player at his position, and I'd argue in the league. So you've got Embiid that a defense has to match up with, and more often than not, teams are going to double that. You've got Ben Simmons, 6'10", who handles the ball, and he's one of the best passers in the NBA, one of the best players at getting downhill and attacking in the NBA, a ferocious rebounder, plays hard every possession. So you've got to physically match up with Simmons at 6'10", but it's harder than matching up with just a four. Because like I said, Simmons handles the ball. So now the question is, do you put a point guard on Ben Simmons? Probably not, because he's going to capitalize and attack that every time. So you've got to use a different defender, a three 
for a four and put him on Simmons, who's handling. So now you've got Embiid and Simmons. Okay, well, the Lakers have LeBron and AD. But now the Sixers have a 6'8 Tobias Harris, who's a guaranteed 20 a game on usually 50% shooting, who you've got to match up with. So those are three players physically that you look at the matchup and you're like, shit, we don't have three players to match up with them. So that's when teams double Joe. That's when teams double Embiid. That's when teams double Ben. But in space, unstoppable. And that's how the Sixers got their buckets. They break the game down. So there's a ton of production two-man game. There's a ton of production executing the play, uh, the playbook, breaking the game down to a three-on-three. But here's what was huge, right? The bench got outscored, and they blew a lead, or I think they expanded a deficit in the first half. But in the second half, Austin, the Sixers bench took an 11-point deficit and turned it into a one-point deficit for the time that the Sixers starters, at least three of them, came back into the game. And that is massive because the Sixers were able to keep this a game the entire time despite that 39-point advantage for Utah from beyond the arc. And they ultimately were able to win because of the spacing. The bench brought them back. The spacing got him a dub. Toby had 11 of the Sixers' 13 points in OT. They went to him for four straight possessions, and he got a bucket on all four possessions. He has space. He generates a mismatch. He capitalizes on the mismatch. It's as simple as that. So for me, a super encouraging win. I saw a lot of good things offensively and defensively. I mean, listen, Donovan Mitchell got clamped again. So Simmons in this month, in the month of uh, – what month is it? It's, it's March. March now, right? Okay. February going into March. In, in February, he clamped Devin Booker. Well, he didn't clamp Devin Booker. He got dropped off by Devin Booker. But, um, in February, he, he, he clamped Luka, he clamped Dame, and he clamped Donovan Mitchell twice. Donovan Mitchell, 5 of 15 against Simmons, 2 of 8 from 3. That's 33% from the field, 28%, I believe, from 3. And in the final eight minutes of play, the most important eight minutes of the game, the last three minutes – of the fourth quarter and five in OT. Mitchell went 0 for 9 from the field and had two turnovers. When it mattered, the Sixers locked it down. They took Utah's best player out of the game the time it mattered most. And Rudy Gobert, the people's defensive player of the year, got 17 buckets dropped on his head. Embiid, he dropped them off. Ben Simmons put a couple buckets on his head. And Tobias Harris definitely put a few buckets on his head. Listen, if you do that to the league's most feared defensive player, Goody Robert, you can beat anybody. You and this just proves that Rudy Gobert's not the deep. Did you just say Goody Robert? Goody Robert. That's that's who played the Sixers. That was Utah center against Philly. Goody I like Robert. It. I like it. I thought what was uh, – there were two things that I, I really liked about the game is that, number one, Doc didn't give in to that bench unit and didn't say, like, all right, screw it. They can't do this. He, he stuck with his guns, and even if it doesn't work, I, I do kind of respect that, even if it does fail, like, nine times out of ten. Um, but you know, he, he, I thought it was a really big moment for them in that third quarter to be able to stay in it. Um, and actually get the lead. And, you know, they, they think they, it, it was a, a bizarre sequence. Like Dwight hits a three. In, strokes, in Gobert's mitt. In Gobert's mitt. Strokes a three. And then Corkmaz makes a floater. Corkmaz never makes floaters. He makes a floater there. And it was like a sky, it was like a sky ball off of a tough angle and he just knocked it down. Didn't need glass. Just, 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 just it was on net. Um, and then Mike Scott's coming in and they're hitting, they're going back and forth with threes. And it was, it was really just a crazy sequence of events in that third, fourth quarter. Um, but the other thing that I was kind of like impressed by in a sense, um, 
usually the game plan is going to be to make Gobert defend in space because he's pretty heavy-footed. His wingspan really is more effective around the rim. If you, if you get him reaching with his hands, you could probably draw fouls on the reach from him because of his, because of his wingspan is, is make it so easy for him to sort of like fall back into that feet on the, on the feet. Um, and I still think they didn't make Gobert defend in space really that much. And then beat still, still crushed him. So Joel beat him at his own game really. Um, and I thought that was a really, a really dominant display. There were a couple of plays in that game with Jim Joel, just the, the, the play where he just bowls Rudy right, right, right the hell over knocks him on his ass and he goes like skidding across like penguins do on ice um or whatever the hell of uh, I, don't, I don't know what, what, snow I, I, don't, I don't know but the, it, he was clearly no match um and then joel hit strokes that the game tying three it was so like nonchalant just like oh i got five seconds i'm gonna step back and knock this in your mid. yeah it was, <laughs> uh, that was a crazy shot and i know people in philadelphia understand the the significance of what's happening with Embiid and I guess nationally they recognize it too Uh, but what Embiid's doing is extremely unprecedented I mean you've got a center who like I said you call him seven feet seven one seven two whatever the weight is more important to me right because Embiid is like 270 280 pounds I mean I'm guesstimating but the only other players that can make that shot or at least shoot 50 percent from the field 40 percent from three and 80% plus from the line are like the Kevin Durant's of the league. And there's not many of them. Now they're seven feet and slim, like the Kevin Durant's, the Brandon Ingram's. They're seven feet and slim. And Bede is heavy. He's bigger than almost every center in the league. I mean, he looks centers, especially Rudy Gobert, just look like mismatches. And these are grown men. He's emasculating grown men with the basketball. Uh, grown men with the basketball. And, and – it's just crazy that you've got a center one-on-one in space that can really give you a bucket at all three levels. He can cross you up and hit a three. He can pull up anywhere from within the perimeter and hit a J with 50-60% accuracy. And if he gets anywhere near the paint, it's over. It's a bucket or a foul. And, and, and I think the same is applicable to a lesser degree for Tobias Harris and even further for Ben Simmons to a much lesser degree because there's no perimeter shooting. But anything within the perimeter – and a one-on-one for the Sixers is a bucket or a foul, I'd say seven out of eight times. Seven out of ten times. Seven out of eight. What the fuck? Seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. Um, after the game, of course, that you know the Jazz start complaining about the foul calls and stuff like that. You know, I, I generally think the officiating is terrible across the entire sport. Like, I think it's been really, 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 really bad this year. Um I was texting with an agent about this and he was like, I actually think they've done a pretty good job. I was like, really? Okay. Interesting. Um, and he kind of like brought up like that the travel commercial flights, you know, it's, it's, it's not as easy as it looks to come in there into these environments and like make these split judgment calls. But when you, when, when you're running around, you know, like a chicken in with your head cut off in the airport, trying to get to flight to flight. So I, I get it, but they still have to be better because they're just not, they're just not good enough right now. Um, but I thought, like, like, dog, what are you talking about? <laughs> the, the, you, you guys fouled the hell out of Joel. There, 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 there were a, a number of possessions I saw where Joel got his feet tangled up with Jazz, or they like had like little subtle jabs that made him miss. 
Um, you know, and so I, I thought it was generally not a terribly officiated game. This whole narrative about how like, 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 like people, like people don't like us and all that shit. I think it's just so tired. It's such a tired narrative. Your dog likes you, bro. Your dog wants you to feed him. What the hell? What do you got going on over there? Your dog wants to go for a walk. Dinner's in the other room. It's at the wrong time. Dinner's in the other room. We're we're Um, good. We're good. To your point, with the officiating, I'm, I'm, I'm. Go ahead. It's a cop out because, like, that they shot. They they made thirteen more threes. Thirteen more threes. They're the best team in the West, purportedly. They had that game, and they had that. They had their foot on the Sixers' throats from, like, basically the the eight minute mark of of the first quarter up until like the middle of the fourth quarter. The, there was no excuse for the Jazz to lose that game. They had that game in the bag, and uh, you know that the, they let it go themselves. So I don't. I don't want to hear about the officiating. It's a. It's you know. It's been terrible for everybody this year. But they. I mean, when you make thirteen more threes and you lose the game. Whose fault really is it? Come on. Exactly. I'm not an officiating complainer. I I really don't care about the officiating. Um, I mean, I I respect their hustle, right? I don't know what it takes to be an NBA official. uh, But to your point about what the agent said, I'm sure all that's tough. But at the same time, what environment? They're they're playing 2K sounds on, on on the game board. There's no one in the stadium. Are you missing calls? There were bad calls both ways. There were no calls both ways. But like you said, Utah had a plus 39 advantage off of three-pointers in this game. Philly only made one in the first half, and it was the six or second unit that made this a game in the second half. They brought an 11-point lead to just one. So it's not like the officiating was so bad that that determined the outcome of the game. Late, there were some bad no calls, and it went both ways, but ultimately – I don't really think that determined the outcome of this game. For sure. Now, before we get into um, the, the, the – before we get into the All-Star, some, uh, some words from our sponsors. Yeah, sure. So I'm 21 now. I turned 21 in December. So um, once COVID gets situated and everything, I'm sure I'll be out clubbing and be at bars with Austin Krell. But for now, I just got a shotgun on my own time. And when I'm talking about shotgunning, I'm talking about using this tool to shotgun beer. Uh, if you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, you got to check them out at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain, just like this. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on IG at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K for a 10% discount on all products. Enter the code trust the Cobra 10, all caps, one word. Pick yours up today. Well done. So uh, but Austin, we, we need to have a dialogue about the defense player of the year. And I tweeted that there is no dialogue to be had because the conversation's over. And I felt passionately about this for a year now. I made a Simmons video on my YouTube a year ago, probably almost a year ago as to why he's the next most feared defender in the NBA. And the points I were making was that, yeah, for two years, Rudy Gobert won the defense player of the year, but Draymond Green and Kawhi Leonard kind of changed the standard. Uh, Prior forwards really hadn't won the defense player of the year. I believe the last one to win it was Ron Artest. Uh, So the forward position doesn't really win the defense player of the year. It's usually a rim-protecting big. 
But as the modern NBA brings an evolution to the sport of basketball, as the game evolves, where it's more of an offensive game, and you watch the All-Star game, we'll talk about it, you've got guys pulling up from 75 feet. I mean, guys are just effortlessly shooting the ball from 60 feet. They're making it, too. They're making making it. it. It's ridiculous. So in my opinion, the thing that should be rewarded most on defense is defensive versatility. Not how well you protect the paint or how well you protect the rim. And don't get me wrong, Rudy Gobert is one of the best players in the league at that. He shuffles his feet really well for a player his size. He can switch onto guards around the perimeter. I mean, he he has gotten cooked badly a few times, but he can switch. You alluded to the wingspan, so he's active in passing lanes. And he's a paint protector. He's not just a rim protector. He really changes everything defensively in the paint. But Ben Simmons, on the other hand, and even if you don't want to give the award to Ben Simmons, if you want to give it to somebody like Kawhi or somebody like Giannis, I think they might even be more deserving than a Rudy Gobert because of their defensive versatility. So Ben Simmons can really, I I think he can match up with fives depending on the situation, but he can definitely match up with one through four. So he can go out and defend any position for any situation. You need to take a three ball away. Okay. Put Ben Simmons on the shooter. You need somebody, you want somebody to pick their dribble up at half court You put Ben Simmons on that point guard. If you've got a three like LeBron James that has the ball in his hands with 10 seconds to play, Ben Simmons, Kawhi Leonard, those are the defenders you'd throw on LeBron James. You wouldn't put Rudy Gobert on LeBron James in that situation. And because of that, I think defensive versatility needs to be rewarded more than rim protection for the defensive player of the year. And if you look at the most impactful, versatile defender in the NBA, it's Ben Simmons. So, There's some defenders that are more impactful and some that are more versatile, but nobody is the combination of versatile and impactful better than Simmons. And the Basketball Index recently tweeted a graphic that justified that. So in my opinion, this dialogue about the Defensive Player of the Year, it's got to change because Gobert can have 100-plus blocks and he can change the game plan for an offense, but at the same time, you can put Simmons on positions one through four comfortably positions one through five altogether, no matter what the situation is, and he'll get a stop. And this year, Gobert, he watched Simmons drop 42 on Utah. So you say, yeah, Simmons only went three of eight against Gobert. It doesn't matter because you cannot throw Gobert on Simmons. So he just had to watch Simmons drop 42. And Embiid put 40 up, and 20 of those points were on Gobert's head. Nikola Jokic dropped a 40 bomb on Utah. Zion Williamson dropped Gobert off. Uh, two weeks ago, Ben Simmons in the past month, in one month alone, clamped up three All-Stars. Donovan Mitchell, Luke, and Dame all were at the All-Star game, and Ben Simmons collect clamped all of them in a single month of basketball. So in my opinion, I I just think we got to change the narrative about Defense Player of the Year and start to, I guess, change our expectations a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, But I also am realistic and – I just don't think that Ben gets enough attention around the NBA uh, to win it. And I I think the narrative is probably a go, a, in Gobert's favor. So I, I would – I think Ben's the best defender in the NBA. I don't think it's a question anymore. But I do think Gobert probably will win his third. Uh, just because it's – I mean, all of this is narrative-based. I'm not even convinced Embiid's going to win the MVP award. 
I, I, I think it's probably, I, I don't, I don't think it's probably, but I, I wouldn't shock me at all if LeBron, you know, sneaks in there and gets it because it's narrative based. You have a lot of national pundits who have a lot of, you know, have big voices and that Lakers get a lot of favorable coverage. And that means LeBron's going to benefit from it. That's just the truth of the matter. And the same, and right now you look at the jazz, jazz success. It's Mike Conley. Number one. <laughs> hey, how's your boy doing the ASG? How'd he do? Three, he had three points, 12 minutes. How'd yeah, your boy for six and 12 minutes? He, he, he was, is <laughs> there's no point having him there. Eric, how was your boy in the ASG? Huh? Which one? Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, there's Mitchell and then there's Gobert and Gobert is the anchor to why the, is the anchor to the defensive end of the floor. And, you know, that's the first thing you think of when you think of the jazz is number one, you think of Mitchell leading the offense for whatever bizarre reason. And then you go to the defense and you think of Gobert. And I think that's just the way it is. I think that it is, but the thing that bothers me and it is largely narrative driven is that I don't care what defense I'm a numbers guy. I don't care what says. I don't care what opposing field goal percentage says. I don't care how many shots Rudy Gobert has. He's a center. Of course, he's going to contest a lot of shots because centers shoot a high volume of shots in the paint. I don't care what any of those numbers say. I'm looking at it from a straight basketball perspective. And I think a lot of analysts around the NBA should agree with me. It's like from a basketball perspective, right? If you're Doc Rivers, who would you rather have in a situation to defend LeBron James with the game on the line, Rudy Gobert or Ben Simmons? It's Ben Simmons. And really the, you wouldn't. You wouldn't even dream. You wouldn't even dare put Gobert exactly. in. Exactly. And if you think about it, all the players that are in a position to end games: Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, Doncic, Paul George, Jason Tatum, uh, Trey Young. All the players that are in positions to end the game do it from either the guard position or the three position. But there's not a lot of centers that, that that are shooting daggers, right? So you would want Simmons over Gobert on anybody 10 out of 10 times. That's my thought process from a basketball perspective. The most impactful defensive player, the defensive player of the year that should be recognized more than anybody is the player that has the largest impact. So, yeah, Rudy Gobert is a paint protector, and he's really good defensively. He's great defensively. But I'm looking at it from a basketball perspective. He can only guard one position. And that position that he guards has dropped him off this year. Jokic did it. Joel Embiid did it. Zion Williamson did it. A whole host of centers have dropped off Rudy Gobert this season. That's just where my head's at. Yeah, I agree. Um, We'll see how it plays out. He still have a half season to go. Um, Let's go over to the All-Star game now. So... Ben Joel test positive. Uh, they test negative for COVID, but they're exposed to someone who tested, who had an inconclusive test. I think it was. They got their haircuts, uh, you know, before they left for Atlanta. PR confirmed to me that that it happened before they left. Um, I think Willard also reported that. But um, but I think if you can, you know, I think Ben put snap stories on the plane, so. You can you know, trace those back. You can kind of get a timeline from when it occurred. Obviously, they're hopeful that the um, that, that they continue to test negative because that would give them a chance to play on Thursday. Um, you know, and if they test positive, I think you're looking at a situation where you're missing multiple games and then they're in trouble. Um, 
but they missed the all-star all-star game. Um, I really wasn't watching it as much for them as I was for just like in general. I think it's always a, an, a fun way to pass. A, You're watching for your boy, Mike Conley. I, I honestly, I watched for three people, no two people really no. Steph and Dame. And I was in Steph's media session last night after the game. I was like this close to get to answering, asking him a question. This like this close, this close. Um, but who did you think was going to win three point uh, the the uh, the skills skill challenge? I had picked either Vooch or so Luka. I, I, I was going I was going with the European player pool. They're fundamentally sound guys over there. Um, I picked Vooch, and then it occurred to me like. You have Sabonis and you have Vooch in the final. And I think, like, obviously, maybe I tend to overthink things for the sake of being nuanced, but doesn't it kind of, like, speak to how much the game and the player has have evolved when you have two bigs who are the finalists for a competition that includes dribbling between cones, making crisp passes, and making threes? Like, that's how much the game has evolved. It, 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 was, yeah. it, was, it used to be just a guard-wing-only competition, now you have a you have bigs winning it. You got one of the greatest uh, point guards of all time, Chris Paul, getting uh, getting Down. sent home. I think for his what seventh or eighth time in the skills challenge or fifth, something like that. Something like that. Sabonis but, won, and 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 he was deserving of it. I'm glad Sabonis is getting the recognition he deserves because he's yeah, been grinding. He, he's been grinding his tail off. He came in this season stronger. He's committing less fouls, and offensively, he's just a problem. The thing is. It's tough to exist in the league as a great center when there's a guy Joel Embiid in it, especially in your own conference. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, it's way easier when you don't have defenses there. But then, explain how, uh, like Covington and whoever else missed those passes that were like they. they, well, they listen, needed- I, I was actually really happy with what happened with Covington because so regardless of, of if he won or not, I was I, I was really thrilled that he got to represent his HBCU. For sure. Altogether, the NBA, I thought they did a fantastic job just marketing and, and, and shedding light on HBCUs and giving them a platform and educating people because it was probably hundreds, I'd argue thousands of people that have no idea what an HBCU is, anything about HBCUs, everything like that. Uh, so not only for Robert Covington to be there and represent his HBCU, but altogether the NBA, they did a fantastic job now. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of like got the vibe that like the players really were all happy to convene there and take part in it because of 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 that platform they were given to represent and spread the, the word and you know embrace the love of all cultures and you know people of different colors, and I kind of thought like maybe they were maybe part of it was like hey if you guys like the NBA was like if you guys come and and we and you know. Do the, do the game, and we get the, get these. You know, we get the TV revenue. You you have the full liberty to, to to do whatever you want. Be creative, you know. Represent and however way you want. And I you know I thought it was a really good, um, a really good night for for you know, re- appreciating the, the the historics of of of, of you know the of, of the of the the culture for sure. Um, and I was happy for Covington too because you know he. He's always been thought of as a nice role player, and uh, it was a a cool moment for him to be there. I actually asked him about it after the event, 
and he and he gave me like a, a five minute monologue. So I thought it was a, it was a very authentic cool. answer he gave me. He was, clearly, he thought about it for a lot. So, so it was it was good. You join the pressers from Zoom virtually. How many people were in them? Like, did it vary from from play to play? It was like sixty people. Each and, a lot of, and you kind of you like like people that had like second or tertiary language. They got a lot of questions because you 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 had the international reach. It's a good opportunity to build that international brand, right? So you know, Luca was getting a ton. Like, was getting they would do. It'd be like, all right, the people in this language, you're next. People in Slovenian, people in Spanish, people in English. Like you just said, like they would. They literally Lucas was literally like they, they did it by like a language group. So it was pretty cool. Um, and you know, it, it was like sixty people per 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 Zoom. If all the, the local beat you have, like I was in there with Mark Spears, um, I was in there with a bunch of different people. Um, but really, you know, it was it was really, 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 really cool stuff. Yeah, not bad for your rookie year. Yeah, and and like the Zoom, it, it was like they were doing it one after the other, so it was like little segments of. It's like every fifteen minutes, a new grouping started. So it was like Luca, uh, for example, it's like Luca, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, the, at this first interval 15 minutes later then it was like steph someone else someone else um i i, I didn't get to make it to lebron's and i can imagine that was swarmed with people um but yeah i thought it was funny with like the selection show hallie gobert got picked last and it kind of occurred to me like he has no all-star cachet and there's nothing that speaks there's nothing all starry about him. That's the same for Mike Conley. Nah, that's not true. That's the same for Mike Conley. Both of them are boring as hell. It is, but Mike Conley is a skilled player. Um, but like for Gobert, he's one of those guys that has mastered the art of being an elite role player, and that has sort of opened up the window for him to be an all star. For him, mean- Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Sure, that's that's an expensive role player. That's a two hundred million dollar role player. You really don't like Gruden there? <laughs> no, I don't. I think he's better than a role player. I I, I think that's give that's that's not giving Rudy Gobert the proper credit he deserves. But think about his role. His role is to catch lobs at the rim, and his role is to is to be an anchor in the defensive end. That's by definition a role player. Well, I think he's a little bit better than a role player. I mean, defensively, he's won the deep play twice, going on three times, and offensively. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's is, is Draymond, was Draymond Green a role player? Huh? Is Draymond Green a role player? Oh, he's Draymond Green. He's better than a role player too. We got to be careful with how we're using the word role player because I've seen it thrown around a lot this year, specifically with Ben Simmons too. I think people need to understand the difference between a role player and a hooper. Okay, a role player is there for a specific role that contributes to what – the overarching goal is what the team needs to do. A role player would be like a Danny Green, a Seth Curry, a Contavious Caldwell Pope. I don't think a role player is anybody getting paid over a hundred million dollars. That's, that's like, just a different tax bracket. You can't be a role player if you're in that tax bracket. But like, if you couldn't you say like like a, you're someone who like their, their sole responsibility is you have to catch lobs at the rim and then just block shots. That's a pretty con- like a pretty confined and it is, confined. but it is, but at the same time, how many people around the league can do what Rudy Gobert does? I'm not knocking, that he I'm knocking him out, but my, 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 what I'm saying is I think he's mastered his role 
and it's a limited one that is typically reserved for role players, but because he's mastered it and perfected it, it's turned him into an all-star. That's what I, that's what I think. And Maybe, I think, but what, and whatever I, the case is, Rudy Gobert is one of the most elite players in the league at making really cool things look really boring. Like you've got James Harden, you've got all these incredible ball players, some world-class ball players giving him lobs, setting them up perfectly, and he's just dunking it with one hand, dunking it with two hands, rolling oh, to yeah. the basket. Little yeah, I'm hand. not bashing Rudy Gobert, but like a, I would picture a hooper as being someone a little more versatile. Like I consider Draymond Green like the threshold of, of hooper versus role player, but I think Draymond Green's like one of the best role players ever. And I think that that perfecting his craft as a as a role player has made him into an all star, a multi time all star. I see if if you were to call Draymond Green a role player to his face, he'd he'd get ugly. That's the thing. I don't think I'm if a fan. If you were to call Rashawn Holmes a role player, if I you were to call like a Thaddeus Young a role player, yeah, they're role players. But if you were to if you got into a press conference with Draymond Green after the All Star game and say, listen. You mastered your role as a role player. You're very de- – he would even say, shut the – who are you? What the hell do you do? You can't call me a role player? Listen, anyone making over $80 million, $100 million, in my opinion, that's a different tax bracket. They're not role players. They're getting paid for a reason, and, and, and the team is behind them for that reason. I disagree. I, I think – I don't think I'm insulting anybody by saying like – But listen, Austin, at the end of the day – there's no way that you can call Rudy Gobert a role player and then tell me that Mike Conley is a skill player that deserves to be in the All-Star game. Because listen, and Mike Conley like what Mike Conley does is less less impactful to winning for Utah than what Rudy Gobert does. Okay. All right. We're, okay, we're done. we're done. If you disagree with that, then you're just not watching Utah. If you tell me what Mike Conley does is more impactful to winning for Utah than Rudy Gobert, you're just not watching Utah. And here's my point, right? Should Devin Booker have been in the All-Star game over Mike Conley? Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Did I ask you Devin Booker instead of Mike Conley or Mike Conley instead of Booker? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. You said should Devin Booker have been in the game okay. instead of Mike Conley? Yes, right? Yes. What about DeMar DeRozan? Yes. Okay, both should have been in the All-Star game over Mike Conley, right? Yeah, they put up better numbers. Neither of them would have been in the All-Star game over Rudy Gobert. I, one of them, regardless of position, neither one of them would have been in the All-Star game I, over Rudy I, Gobert. I don't think it's an insult to call somebody a role player. I think you can be – there are role players that are that are like okay at like one or two things but are really good at one thing. There are some role players that are elite at exactly what you need them to do, and that elevates them into the all-star category because they master. They're not role players anymore. They're elite at what they do. They're elite. They're not role players. Rudy, listen, I made a tw- what a 10-minute case as to why Rudy Gobert isn't the defense player of the year. He, he's overrated, in my opinion, defensively. But at the same time, he's one of the best paint protectors in the entire league. I'd argue, if not the best paint protector in the entire league. And what he does offensively, I mean, yeah, you can make fun of screen assists, but Utah's offense doesn't function the way it does without Rudy Gobert because he's one of the best screeners in the league. So you just throw him at the top of the key, make him draw contact. Now your ball handler has all that space because your 7-2 French center just got in the way and the defender can't get around him. So 
listen, you don't have to think he's a good player. You don't have to think he's no, I think he's a very good player. I'm I think not saying you. I'm just saying in anybody's case, you don't even have to like Rudy Gobert. But I just think it's insulting to, to call players role players. Like, I think if you play 15 or less minutes and your role is to specifically get in there and do one job, then you're a role player. But if you're a starter and you're getting paid like an all-star, if you're getting paid like a superstar, that's what you are. That's 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 just the standard. So is Tobias Harris a superstar? Yeah, absolutely. I already I made a video on that two year a year ago. That's right, you did. I already told you he's a superstar. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. What are you gonna call him a role player? No, 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 no. He's very good at many things. He's very good at many things. So in other words, you want to call him a role player, but you don't want to right now in front of no, 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 no. I'm no, kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. I think he's a, a he's a. He's a, he's not a role player. He's a step up. He's two to three steps above a role player. A role player, I is not. So let a, me ask you. So let me. I don't define a role player by by how much money they make. There are money. There are many guys in the game that are overrated and and that are overpaid for what they do. So I, you're a role okay, player. We'll, we'll conclude this debate. We'll conclude this debate with this, right? What is it that you think makes Rudy Gobert a role player? Because he's not dynamic. He doesn't like, okay, so, so tell me what Rudy Gobert does that makes him a role player as opposed to, I guess, a star. A star had like first of all, a star has just the the cachet of a star. Like they're they're stars. All that aside, all that aside, I'm talking straight hoops. Why is Rudy Gobert a role player? Because he can't defend in space. He doesn't switch on to anybody. He can't really like credibly just defend more than one position. He's an elite rim protector with an offensive skill set that is just basically catering to two feet around the rim or lobs the rim. None, none of none of none of that is 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 as elevating as is, is elevating a championship. It's it's not like like I, now 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 he is elite elite at those two things that he does on either end of the court, and that has blossomed him into a star level player. But to sit here and tell me that he is a guy that, like you know, is a true superstar. You put him on any team, and and, and that team's an automatic playoff berth. I think that's ridiculous. And that's fine. I don't think anybody's disputing that. But I also think it's unfair to call him a role player. But that's just my opinion. We're like, I don't think a role. Everybody on the team has a role. So then, wouldn't everybody be a role player? In a sense, yeah, everyone is a role player. Well, then this is stupid. That's stupid. But I you think can't call Draymond Green and Rudy Gobert role players and then say different things for Julius Randle and Demarcus Sabonis. No, no, no. But I think the role of like the 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 role of Rudy Gobert is not to be the star. It's confined. Oh, you know what? This is crazy, right? Because this is the Feet to Embiid podcast, and all we're supposed to be talking about is Sixers. And for the past two three weeks. We've had to have these dumbass conversations about Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert, and I don't feel like talking about either of them. I, I really don't. So let's move on. Let's talk about some Sixers ball. Wait, wait, right there. Listen, you can use Abe Link as your source right there, and I'm glad he's making you blush. But when push comes to shove, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm not calling these guys role players. I'm not saying, oh, if, God. if you were to get in a presser and call Rudy Gobert or Draymond Green a role player, they give you shit for it. They give you an earful. Well, I think that I think they have to reassess what they define as a role player. Um, now we're going to talk about our sponsors, uh, Thrive Fantasy. But before we do that, Brock, who did you pick to win the three point shootout? Steph Curry, the chef. 
So did I. Who did you pick to win the dunk contest? The dunk contest? I didn't even pick anybody. I'm not going to lie. I didn't even pick anybody. I looked at that lineup and I said, I don't even feel like watching this. But uh, let's say let's say I went with Cassius Stanley prior just to help you out for the sake of the ad. <laughs> I, I picked Obi. And I, so I took the L there too. Okay, okay. My problem with the, with the dunk contest is this. You have people like Josh Smith there and people there that are judging it. And they're giving like eights and nines. Some of their like landmark ideas when, in their own dunk contests were like, I'm going to try to jump from the free throw line. And then they'd end up jumping from like with like a heel on it and not even actually doing the dunk right. So like, what like, like, like just like like this is this it's so repetitive. The, the dunk contest is like a thing that should be done once every couple of years, but they shouldn't. Like the, the dunks get so repetitive, they, they, and the shelf life is 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 far past. It's not fun anymore. I don't think. I actually think what they should do is like incorporate. You know how there's professional dunkers, like some dudes that are like six three that can get up like they're bouncing off a trampoline and do a flip and dunk. Like you've seen the guys at halftime at the Sixers games, they use the trampolines and they're street ballers that are professional dunkers, Jordan Kilganon. I think they should incorporate something like that. Like bring professional dunkers in, bring trampolines in, do something. If, if, if you can't give any incentive for the players to join the dunk contest, you either need to do away with it or you got to go bigger. I think you're right. There is a shelf life. So stuff does get old. And when guys like Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine come around and they have battles, us as fans get a little spoiled. We want to see hoverboards and mascots come out. Uh, but ultimately, there's one basketball and one basket. So there's only so many different ways you can dunk and put the ball into the basket. Now, the officiating is just something people want to be mad at, right? Or the judging, I should say. It's like an NBA game. Everyone wants to be mad at the officials. They want to scapegoat the officials. In a dunk contest, everyone wants to be mad at the judges. Me personally, I don't care about that type of stuff. The outcome is what the outcome was. Yeah, Cassius Stanley probably got robbed because of how easy he made his first dunk look, uh, going under the leg, off the leg, he jumped off of, and putting it in the basket on his first try. I mean, that was dirty. Uh, but ultimately, they got to do something to spice the dunk contest up. If they just can't draw in big names to do it. Yeah. I probably move on to the, to the next segment. Uh, ARAM says, so being a star has nothing to do with being elite at your position if you're not popular. It has nothing to do with popularity either. Terry Rogier is arguably an all-star this year, and he is not popular. <laughs> what? Oh, man, Krell. What? That's I, hilarious I, that you told me that James Harden wasn't going to make the all-star game. In our last podcast, but you're going to tell no. me Terry Rozier is no. more deserving. And I didn't include him on my list because I did is based on history. I didn't think I thought maybe he'd be left off because of what of what happened with Houston. Listen, bro, perfectly Let's reasonable. Talk ball. Let's talk Sixers ball. It's no, no more role player Rudy no. Gobert, Mike Conley conversation. No. It doesn't no. matter. You're killing me now. You're killing me. You're just killing what are you me. Talking about? I just said let's move on. Oh my god. All right, we're going to talk about our friends over at Thrive Fantasy once I find the ad. Here it is. Um, come hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in a respective sport. 
if it's the NFL, the season just ended, I know. Um, but when the season comes back around, choose 10 out of the top tw- uh, 20 player prop options to build your lineup. NBA is in season. MLB is coming up on us in just a couple weeks. PGA, of course, and even eSports. Choose five out of the 10 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points the selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Use promo code SIMMONS43. That's SIMMONS, the word for F-O-R, three, number three, SIMMONS43. When you sign up today and you will receive an instant deposit match up to $50, 50 bucks on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. So, Brock, the second half of the season begins um, in a couple of days um, for the Sixers. Now, let's sort of reflect on how we got to this point. They are 24-12, and 12, their first place in the East. The Nets trail by half a game despite not having Kevin Durant. And... Um, <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I would say give it a try. It can't hurt, right? Um, we'll give it a try, Manuel. Manuel, thanks so much for tuning in from outside of the U.S., by the way. Assuming you're outside of the U.S., because I don't know why I'd ask the question otherwise. But thank you for tuning in. We appreciate the support. Um, so 24 and 12, half a game up on the Nets. Um, let's go through each player on the roster and give our grades of that player in the last 10 ish minutes or so before we do that. Uh, did you see the chat today? The, uh, the, the, the painted lines chat. Do you ever check the chat? <laughs> don't, don't ask questions. You don't want the answers to what's wrong with you. Huh? <laughs> I'm a busy dude, bro. I I I, listen, I'm only on my phone to tweet. That's it. I got it. I, but you never retweet the things that I tag you in. Because I told you, I'm only on my phone to tweet. I tweet what I got to do, and I get the hell out of there. I'm back to the real world. All right. Fair enough. Um, I received a text today from somebody who's, who's I would say, close to, the, to, close to people in the Sixers organization. And he left it something simple. He just said, something's brewing. I'm thinking, I'm thinking... They got nationally televised games coming up. Got a, a got a big set, a bit big, big thick schedule of, of some of the best competition they play this season coming up next couple of weeks. Wouldn't shock me if they pull a trade the next you know week or so. Wouldn't shock me. I get. I'm, this is not me reporting. This is me guessing. I just have this gut feel it's going to be Kyle Lowry. I do. So. I, I was pretty skeptical, but I also kind of have a feeling that Kyle Lowry is a little more real than, than I realize. Uh, there yeah. are some obstacles because Miami does probably have more expendable assets than Philadelphia's in terms of uh, heading to the championship. Philly probably wants to keep more than Miami does at the moment. But listen, Kyle Lowry is a plausible get. I mean, the only thing standing in the way of getting Kyle Lowry is that uh, lingering contract extension, Right. So he is on a one-year, $30 million contract right now, but he wants an extension, and I believe he wants two years, 15 a year. 
So he'd be getting $30 million altogether. And in order for the Sixers to get Kyle Lowry, they would either have to be in a three-team or they're going to have to give up Danny Green because that's the only player that can really make salary work. Uh, Danny Green's $15 million. But I, I, I honestly, Austin, I don't think Daryl Moore wants to mess with this roster too much. I don't think Doc does either. So when I look at it, Joel Embiid's not going anywhere. Ben Simmons isn't going anywhere. Tobias Harris isn't going anywhere, in my opinion. So there's three guys that are untouchable. Now, Seth Curry, I don't think the Sixers want to trade. If they have to, they probably will. But just in terms of floor spacing, I know he's been struggling since he came back from COVID, but in terms of floor spacing, there's not many players that warrant the gravity that he does around the league. So I think they're trying to keep Seth Curry. When you look at the bench unit, they're not getting rid of Dwight. They're probably not getting rid of Shake. So who's that leave? It's like Danny Green, Tyrese Maxey, Furkan Korkmaz. How much can you do with that? I think it's going to be like a first-round pick or something, like a package of picks, Tyrese as the main pieces to attract it. But keep in mind, like you said, you said Miami could be a competition. I think they're going to give Kyle Lowry the ability to say, like, you've done enough for us. Where do you want to go? And if he if he has that opportunity, Philly makes the better sense. I mean, let's just be honest here. Like they're in a better spot right now in the East. Um, there's you know there, there, there's a there's a more I would say defined fit potentially in Philly, and and I and I think you know if he's looking to win a championship, I mean, you can't look at the heat and tell me that they're like closer at this moment in time than the a year ago. You would have, but not this year, definitely not this year. And, and, and the good thing, there is some silver lining. Uh, Toronto was the hottest team in ball one of in the past month, but they're 17 and 19. They've got the eighth seed. Uh, there's nine teams in the East with 17 or less wins compared to six in the West. So Toronto is still probably going to make the playoffs, but They've got Norm Powell and Fred Van Vliet on multi-year contracts who both have more threes, free throw attempts, points than Lowry. And they have pretty much the same shooting numbers from the field and from three with Lowry on the floor compared to when he's off the floor. They're six and one this season in games without Lowry. So if Philadelphia can make the money work, it makes perfect sense. And in terms of on the court, Lowry's a brilliant defender. He's a bulldog. Defensively, it's tough. He can take tar- charges, but offensively, yeah, he'll give you 17 a game. I like his playmaking more because a pick and roll with Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, with one of them as a screener, let's say Embiid rolls to the mid range or Ben rolls to the basket, you're putting the ball into a 34 year old point guard who's been in the league over a decade with some of the highest IQ knowledge in the game. So that PR, it would be deadly. On court, it makes perfect sense. You just got to make the money work. Yeah, and um, Marquis has Nets with Blake, LA getting Drummond potentially at their MB killed them. Um, here's my thing with like, like what you you mentioned like a great point. You mentioned um, Fred Van Vliet. They just paid him big bucks. He's clearly the guy they're building around for the future. Lowry's expiring. There's pro- there's not really a big role for him there anymore, and they're probably not going to give him the money that he wants. You might as well get something for him before he, he sold his crib. He sold, I think he sold his $5.2 million crib in Toronto. He's That's from right. North Philly, and, and the Raptors said they want to grant him access to a team he wants to play for, which would be like the Clippers, Miami, 
for Philly. So if he's looking at championship window, it's the Clippers and Philly right now. It uh, just depends on what Philly's going to do. The problem with the market is you've got to see how everything plays out because like Marky alluded to, so you've got Blake going to Brooklyn now, right? You still have DeMarcus Cousins, an unsigned free agent who a team's definitely going to go after. You've got Nikola Vucevic in Orlando, who a lot of teams in the East are linked to. So if he gets traded, you also have to wonder what does Orlando do with Evan Fournier? What do they do with Terrence Ross? So there's a rippling effect there. What happens with Drummond impacts the league because he's in Cleveland. So maybe Toronto trades for him. Maybe Lowry's involved in that trade. There's also Kevin Love who might get bought out. So there's a lot of things that have to happen in this trade market and this buyout market. Um, but Kyle Lowry has been a name linked to Philadelphia for, I'd say, what, two months now? And and listen, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. I think the smoke's getting thicker and thicker and thicker. I mean, it's not – you usually don't hear – like the big names that are in this business, when they say like Lowry this, Lowry they don't usually, they usually don't just like – throw out names without reasoning behind it, even if they're saying I'm not reporting anything, but. So how do you feel about Blake to the Nets? Uh, I know we can't really give player grades out with only four minutes left. It's, 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 talk talk transactions. It doesn't move the needle for me at all. See, I don't think it's a needle mover, but I think people are, listen, Blake's numbers are horrific. He's been horrific this season, but I wouldn't be surprised if Blake comes out and starts dogging dudes for no reason. He's in a really good situation. He's not going to be the number one option. He's, he's, he's got a coaching staff full of guys that understand how to optimize players and specifically forwards offensively. So I wouldn't be surprised if Blake comes out dogging dudes, putting yeah. up 15, 16 a night with five rebounds. And we'll looks see. Like he himself, which is at, at prove it first. Brock, in the last three minutes, we're going to do player grades. <laughs> All right. So let's cram them in. Kind All right. What'd you say? Daryl Morey, go. A plus, A plus, 100%, A plus. He, he, he turned this roster around. He gave him space. He's probably going to make some more moves, A plus. I would say A plus as well. Um, Doc Rivers. A plus, Doc Rivers and the whole staff. They're, they're, they're a combination for me. Popeye Jones, Dan Burke, Sam I would Castell, say, A plus for everyone. I would say A minus. Um, we'll, 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 do him, we'll do him service. Elton Brand. Forgot he existed. No great. Forgot he existed. He's, he's, he gets satisfactory. He's passing. <laughs> Fair he enough. Doesn't mean uh, enough to- Joel Embiid. A plus. Most valuable player in the league. Most dominant player in the league. I don't think there's a high enough representation for what he deserves. A plus. That's that's the limit. A plus it is. Um, ben Simmons. B plus. Hesitantly a B plus. It, it, it'll be an A by the end of the season. I like to give him. But that slow start hurt him a little bit. He's been developing that baby hook. He's up to 60% on hook shots, which is magnificent. He's been great in the post defensively. Ben is who Ben is. Uh, He's been fantastic from the line of late. So if we're looking at the past month, two months, A+. But if we're giving him B to an A-plus for the season, I've got to bump Ben's down a little bit. So I'll say B-plus with some room to improve. I'm going to say a B for Ben. B. Um, Tobias. Tobias, B plus. Um, I'm gonna say, really, honestly, I, I could I could give Tobias an A. I, I could give Tobias an A. Um, if you look at what Tobias has been for this team, uh, he's been monumental. Countless games with 20 points on 50% shooting, more than Paul George, Luca, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Paul George, etc. So for Tobias, he's been fantastic. He's been hitting his spots. 
He's been a really reliable get, a really reliable guy. My apologies for the Sixers. And specifically in the fourth in OT, he's won Philly a few games, which is what Philly fans were clamming for, a closer. Uh, so Tobias has been that guy for Philly, big in the clutch. I'll give him an A, A-. minus. Okay. I will give Tobias an A-. minus. It would be an A+, plus if he were taking more threes. But there's that. Um, Seth Curry. Seth Curry got the COVID hangover, so I'm going to give him a C. He's right at average. He was really hot before he got COVID. He got COVID, and he's been a little different. That's not a superstition. Jason Tatum said the same thing. It's tough. Your body's got to recover. you got to get that stamina back. you got to get comfortable on the court again. And I'll use the I Am Athlete podcast in here to kind of draw a parallel. Cam Newton was on the I Am Athlete podcast, and they were saying, Cam, you are killing it in New England. You have two huge weeks in New England. The Patriots might be able to use you in their system. It might be a big year, and you get COVID. Now, what is that like, getting COVID right in the middle of the season, right when it starts? And he said it's like you're waiting at the, you're waiting at the gas station, right? You run in, you go give the guy, all right, give him a 20, say, put gas on pump eight, and let me grab these Skittles, right? You buy your shit, you give him the money, you come back out, and the car's gone. Your friends that were in the car waiting for you to pump, they're gone. And that's what Cam equated COVID during a season to. It's like you're just thrown off. Physically, mentally, you're thrown off. So for Seth, I'll give him a C with a lot of room to improve. There's been games where he's been mad efficient, and I think he's going to be huge for Philly in the postseason. He can light it up for 22, 24, 26 a night on certain nights on on really efficient shooting. I will give Seth a B-. minus. I think he's been better with like handling a little bit and creating some um, like that floater that he has. I just need the three point volume to go up. I need the, I need him to snap out of this little rut he's in, but I'll, I'll give him a B minus Danny green. Danny green C C as well. He's been average. Uh, there's nights when the Sixers only have eight, 10 attempts in the first half, three pointers, which to you, Austin, that's not enough to me. I don't care if you take 10 threes, but if you take 10 threes and they're out of double teams, Joe's getting double bent, Tobias, they're getting doubled. You got to hit those threes at a high percentage. You need to hit six, seven, eight of those 10. So until Danny Green either becomes a really consistent dead-eye shooter, the Sixers, they're not going to be able to capitalize as much on those double teams. He's been shooting good. He's been efficient. uh, But Danny Green needs to shoot the ball more consistently, I'll give him an A minus. A minus. Wow. I mean, uh, listen, he, he 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 is one of 30 players with 35 plus steals and 15 plus blocks. So defensively, he's been all right on the perimeter. He's been he's been getting bullied a bunch, but he's still been he's still been serviceable on the perimeter defensively. Yeah, I think he's been really good from three for them for the most part, leading the team on attempts. Um I believe he's like shooting above 37%. Um, I think his defense has been okay, but I will give him an A minus. I think he's been just about what they, what they've needed out of him. Um, Go over to shake Milton. That's tough because shake was hurt. Uh, He's starting to look like himself again. Uh, If shake can give you 12 to 15 a night, that's that's just what you need off the bench. Excuse me. Uh, But shake Milton, before he got hurt, I'd say A. After, uh, he's probably around a B. 
B minus with, with Shake. He's he, he's not really shooting the three ball as much as he did a year prior, but he's got a couple of games with three or more three pointers in the past two weeks. Uh, so if he can just come out and give you twelve to sixteen a night, he's here to Philadelphia. I'll give Shake a B too. Um, Furkan Korkmaz. Furkan Korkmaz, man, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give Furkan Korkmaz a, a D. I, it's just very tough for me to watch Korkmaz. He's a very unesthetically pleasing basketball player. Uh, he's 6'7 with some bunnies. He doesn't get to the rim a whole lot. He is a playmaker, and Doc trusts him as a playmaker. He plays point guard for his team overseas, but he's just not giving me enough. He, he's not giving me enough as a playmaker, and there was a stretch of games where Philly went on a road trip where he was shooting like, I think 33% or less uh, from the field with less than five threes. He had more turnovers than he did makes from, from the field, uh, which you can't have out of your eighth or ninth man. Those games are won when teams take their starters off and the bench comes on the floor because they got to either hold leads or expand them. And Philadelphia couldn't do that in the time when Shake wasn't playing largely because there was just no production offensively. And that comes down to Furcon a little bit. I'll give him a D plus. Um I need, him, I need him to capitalize on more open threes. I need him to make free throws. It's the most infuriating thing that he just – those he misses open threes and he is not a reliable guy from the free throw line. Um, Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard, man, I'm saying A. I a love what Dwight's brought. I, I think he's brought a huge presence in the locker room and on the bench. He's he, He's been massive for that Sixers team and lifting spirits up. And keeping guys level-headed, he's a championship-winning player, so I'd argue him and Danny Green have, have things tight in that locker room with Doc and his staff. Uh, but in terms of Dwight's production on the court, I mean, top three in rotation players for offensive rebounds and total rebounds, I think he's top five in total blocks. So he's been doing his job, just come in, catch those lobs defensively, be a rim protector, move around, set screens, draw contact, and you really couldn't have asked him to do any better of a job than he's done already. So I'll say A for Dwight. Isaiah Joe. Isaiah Joe and Tyrese Maxey, I can't even give grades. They, they, they just haven't played enough ball for me to give grades. Uh, they're at the back end of this rotation. I like what I've seen out of Isaiah Joe. He's a capable defender. He's a good three-point shooter. But right now, he just hasn't grown into his body. He, he's not strong enough. But his shot's there. His ball handling's there a little bit. He can move real well off ball and defensively. Like I said, he could hold his own. But he's going to be a different player if he adds five, six, eight pounds of muscle. And we're going to see what he can do with the G League. Shout out Justin and, and everybody with the G League right now because uh, they're having a good year for content. I mean, Ebal Paul and those Delaware Blue Coats are, are, are giving these guys over at the Paint of Lines a lot of content. A lot yeah. Of content. They're balling out. For sure. Matisse Thibel. Matisse Thibel, I'm going to say B. Uh, defensively, there's very few players that are more impactful than Thibel in the league. And, and this is what limited minutes. Uh, if Thibel had any semblance of an offensive game, he would be a starter. If, if he could shoot the ball four or five times a game from three and make it at 38, 40%, he'd be a starter on, on any team just because he's that good defensively. So I'll give Matisse a B because he's been reliable on the defensive end. He's been big in a lot of games. He has two steals and over eight games this season. He's been able to lock down certain guys and he's been massive in that Philly two, three zone, but offensively, He's still a project. I'm not sure how much upside he has offensively, but I'll give him a B, and maybe that changes by the end, by the end of the season if he adds a little bit on that end. 
All right. Um, I'll give mine for Tyrese. I will say A minus for Tyrese. Um, I'm been, I've been really, 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 really impressed with his desire to go to the rim and go hard, even if he's not getting foul calls. Um, super, super speedy ball handler gives him a spark off the bench. The jump shot will come with time. Um, but I, I, I've, I've really been impressed with what I've seen from him. Um, Isaiah Joe, I'll give a B. I think he's been effective when he's gotten minutes. Um, obviously, has to develop a lot more, but I think he's been effective thus, thus, thus far, given where he, you know, given where he was drafted, and given the, the you know, the, the situation with this team. I like it. Um, Matisse, I will say. B plus. Um, again, if he had any kind of offensive game, like cutting off ball, um, any kind of instincts there, I would probably probably be an A minus. But he's he's just terrible offensively, <laughs> and uh, his defense is just superb. I, I will give him a B plus. Um, let's go to Vincent Poirier and Tony Bradley. You can't be serious, though. You can't be serious, though. What am I supposed to grade them on? How, how good they look sitting on the bench as the 11th and 12th man? I will say Vincent Poyet, Vinny P, um, NA, can't, can't be can't be graded. Um, Tony Bradley, I think, has been solid. I'll give him a, a, a B minus. Yeah, from I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna disagree. There's there's just there's no grading scale. I, I can't grade him based on anything. I mean, Tony Bradley's played what 30 minutes altogether in the season. Uh, Vinny P really hasn't seen the floor at all. So there's not much for me to grade him on. I just want to answer this quick question. Uh, the answer Goat asked me, Brock, you like Maxi Tyrese Maxi at the draft. Has he made you like his future more or else so far? Now, with Maxi, I mean, listen, he hasn't played a lot of ball. He's he, He's been in Doc's doghouse, and I think rightfully so. Now, on the road trip, it was it, it was obvious. Maxi is a fearless bucket getter. He can score at all three levels occasionally, but more importantly, he's a fearless bucket getter. So you can use him in the two-man game. He can get downhill, takes it right into his chest. He can lower his shoulder. So Maxi offensively, I think there's a ton of upside there. There's a ton of upside there. But much like Joe, I think Maxi needs to grow into his body a little more. And once he gets comfortable in his own skin and his own body, he bulks up a little more, he's going to be real impactful. And I think Maxi is a super high ceiling. I think Maxi, I comped him. To De'Aaron Fox, I still think his ceiling is that high. Offensively, he's got such a nice game where anything around the paint, if it's a floater, if it's a layup, he can score. He could get a bucket there. So the three-point shot needs work. The mechanics might need work a little bit. Uh, but he just hasn't played enough. And I think the situation uh, really dictates that. If he's not in Philadelphia, if he's in a different situation like in New York, or somewhere like that, he might play more. He, he, he'd definitely play more, and he'd be in contention for Rookie of the Year. But in Philadelphia, where there's already two ball handlers and Ben Simmons and Jake Milton, and there's a lot of guys that need their buckets like Embiid, like Tobias Harris, like Seth Curry. It's just tough to get him involved. So I think his ceiling is really high. Uh, but I think if he was on a different team, we'd be speaking about him a lot more differently. It'd be more positive. It'd be in the rookie of the year race, uh, but it'd be a lot differently. That's why I think Philly might have to part ways with him. I think Maxi showed a lot that other teams like would have interest in. All right, last two, Terrence Ferguson and Mike Scott. 
I can't grade Terrence Ferguson. Okay. I not much there. Mike Scott, I'll, I'll just – I'll give Mike Scott a B. I'll give him that for his game against Utah. He had fours across the board. I think it was a career high, either a career high or a season high in steals with four. Uh, he was a dog that game, made a couple of threes. Uh, so for that big game against Utah, I'll give Mike Scott a B. Again, both of them really haven't played enough. I'll give him a B. Brock, where can they find you? On Twitter, at Landis Brock. On YouTube, Brock Landis is just my name. And like I said, I have a care package coming out by Thursday. I trade and buy out candidates for Philadelphia. We didn't get to everyone tonight. So if you're wondering who I think the Sixers should target and might land or might end up with, check that video out and the Ben Simmons video. Uh, ben for Simmons sure. comps to Scottie Pippen, Magic, Rajon, et cetera. All right. You can find me on you can find him on Twitter at Landis Brock. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. Um, we, and you can, I'm always, I'm on, I'm the beat reporter for the Sixers. Um, so you can always find me on Twitter reporting stuff and getting out new pieces of, of work that I'm working on. Um, you can find us on YouTube at land at Brock Landis and at the painted lines. Um, same place on Instagram. Well, for me, it's underscore Austin Krell underscore for Brock, I don't even know what his Instagram is. <laughs> I have one. Zero Dark 30. I told you I'm on my phone to tweet my nonsense and then I'm out of there. <laughs> Fair enough. Brock is the goat. Um, as always, we do appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure to find us on SoundCloud, subscribe, Apple Pod, subscribe, um, subscribe, uh, review, and re- rate and review. There we go. Subscribe, rate, and review. And we always appreciate it. Um, Marky, you can find our Twitter handles right on the screen at NBA Krell, at Landis Brock. That's us. Um, we always appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, uh, take care, everybody. Have a good night. And Brock, stay solid, baby. There we go. Take care, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>